Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us, you care for us. Speak to our hearts today. Let your Word do what your Word does. Let us apply it to our hearts and our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to quicken it. And may we be glorifying you in living the life you want us to live. And we say amen. Turn to your neighbor as you're seated and say, I'm glad you're here today. Most of you know because of uh, the uh, things going on in America, we are just uh, having an unreal time that is so different than we've ever had before. Uh, this is uh, the California Thanksgiving guidelines, and this is absolutely the truth, so this is not a joke, but I'm going to give you. How, how many of you know people from California, uh, you know, are just a little different out on the left coast? So the governor issued this, the guidelines for Thanksgiving state that no more than three households can gather together at a time. Gatherings must be held outside and should be less than two hours. Attendees may go inside to use the restroom as long as the restrooms are frequently sanitized. Also, singing, chanting, and shouting are strongly discouraged. So Beverly sent this to me the other day, and uh, uh, the reason she sent it to me because there, there's no restrictions on how many people can go to an outdoor funeral in California. So... We're gathering Thursday, November the 26th, to celebrate the passing of our pet turkey, Tom. <laughs> All of you are welcome to attend. In lieu of flowers, please bring a side dish. <laughs> That's just funny. Well, you know, whenever you're into relationships, and all of us have relationships, it can be difficult. In Genesis chapter 2, we see the first human relationships beginning to take place. Now, Adam already has a relationship with God, but now he's fixing to have a relationship with Eve, and God's going to give him a helpmate. He's going to give him a wife. Now, verse 21 says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In 1967, I was a freshman in high school. And one of the number one songs in 1967, if you remember that, you're old. But anyway, uh, in 1967, number one song was, All You Need Is Love, Love, Love Is All You Need by the Beatles. It was written by John Lennon. And of course, they all sang it. But love is all you need. But I have seen people who are in relationships that say this, I love you, but I just can't live with you. You ever heard that? Or I, I just can't get past some of the things that's happened in our relationship or how you talk to me or how you, uh, you know, interact with me. So how many of you know you need more than love? Now, love is the primary thing, but you have to have some other things in the atmosphere of love. Now, the first thing that Adam did when Eve was presented to him, was to communicate the strength of the bond between both of them. Now, listen to what he said. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, I will call her woman because she was taken from me. She is a part of me. So Adam is now verbalizing about his wife. 
One of the most important things in relationship is good communication. So if you don't have good communication, you're not going to have a good relationship. I don't care what it is, if it's a husband or wife, parents to children, children to parents, uh, extended relationships. No matter what the relationship is, we need to have good communication. Can I hear an amen? Now, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, the Bible says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, that's a good thing. If you find a wife, you know, good thing, you get favor from the Lord. But I want you to notice the verses that precede this verse in verse number 22. Go back with me to verse 20. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So life and death in the power of the what? Of the tongue, of the mouth. Now, in Matthew 13, the Lord's going to give a parable, but I want you to look at something here and even repeat it with me here in a minute. Say this with me. Words are huge. Words are powerful. Words produce fruit. Now, let's all say it together. Words are huge. Words are powerful. Words produce fruit. Sometimes we can think, we can say anything we want to say, and it doesn't matter. How many of you know it matters? So whatever we say is huge, powerful, and it produces fruit. So in Matthew 13, the Lord gives several parables. The first one he gives is the parable of the sower and the seed. How many have ever read that? So when he talks about the parable of the sower and the seed, then later he explains that to his disciples what the parable means. Now what he's saying is the seed is the word. And the word, when it's sown, is going to produce fruit. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So I can't just say anything, I can't say everything, and expect a different crop to come up than what I said. How many of you are with me on that? So when we talk about that, the seed, he said, becomes fruitful when it's sown on good ground and the ground can be the relationships in our life so when we just think that we can say whatever we want to say and it won't produce fruit i'm going to guarantee you sometimes we're looking for crop failure we we we, we have this kind of seed we've sown but yet we want this crop to come up over here how many of you know it does not work that way we sow seed and whatever seed we sow it produces like fruit so when we sow negativity, what does it do? It produces fruit. When we sow sarcasm, what does it do? It produces fruit. When, he sow, when we sow criticism, it produces fruit. And all those things are poisons that slowly kill relationships. Now, many of you and most of you know that if you're married, you're in a relationship, then the words that we speak to each other are very powerful and they're very meaningful. And sometimes we wish that they didn't produce the fruit, but they always do. So we can have a poison that comes out that begins to kill relationships. Those things, the negativity, the sarcasm, the criticism, magnifies the other person's faults, whether those faults are real or perceived. And so if there is a fault, what do we do? We just magnify that. Those things make us feel unappreciated and devalued, disrespected. Low self-esteem begins to creep in. We tend to start withdrawing. And so when people say things of negativity, uh, criticism, sarcasm, we always say, yeah, give me some more of that. 
I'll, I'll take some more of that. How many of you know that does not happen? What happens, we start withdrawing. And so when we think we're going to fix something by negativity, criticism, sarcasm, you know what we do? We're just repelling people. And we're pushing them away. And we're pushing them away. And sometimes we think, why are we doing that? And, and I think it's because subconsciously we don't understand what we're doing. Someone said if you do one negative thing, it takes five positive things to overcome the one negative. You'll never do it with just one. You've got to constantly sow in something that's positive. So question, why do we communicate in negativity, sarcasm, and criticism? And I think there's three basic reasons. If you have a pencil and paper, you might want to write this down. Uh, the first one is because we have unresolved anger in our life. And if we have unresolved anger in our life, what happens? That transfers to somebody else. So out of that anger, we are speaking, we're living, we're showing, we're functioning out of that anger, and it just begins to uh, be expelled out of us, and we begin to impose that on our mate, our loved ones, our family. The second reason is because we've been exposed to horrible examples. Sometimes we're just around people that are horrible examples, and we pick those things up. We're in a family that's dysfunctional, and guess what we do? We just repeat the dysfunction. Um, many years ago, we took the family down to Houston, and we went to NASA. And we had some friends down there that took us. And have you ever uh, seen the, the room where all the computers are and the big screens on the wall when they were doing the Apollo and the, the different uh, things back in the 60s and, and early 70s? We actually got to go into that room. Now, they don't use that anymore. It's pretty antiquated. But it's pretty neat to walk into that room that you've seen on television you know, over and over, Houston, we have a problem. And, and to be there is really great. So, Matt, my, my son and I, went to a simulator that they used for the space shuttle. Now, the reason I say that, if NASA called me and said, Mike, we would love for you to come and pilot the next NASA space shuttle launch. And I would say, thank you so much for the confidence that you have to pilot the space shuttle, but here's the problem. I would kill everybody big enough to die because I don't know anything about the shuttle. I've, I've never navigated the shuttle. And so Matt and I in the simulator, every time we tried to land the shuttle, and this is what they said, uh, to, to fly the space shuttle is like flying a brick with wings. So every time we tried to land the space shuttle, we crashed it every time. We, we never had a good landing. So if they called me to say, we want you to pilot the space shuttle, I would say, thank you for the confidence, but I don't know anything about that. And this is what happens sometimes. When we get married and we have children, then we're thinking, I need to be a good husband, I need to be a good wife, I need to be a good father, I need to be a good mother. But if you've never seen that, you don't know what it looks like. And a lot of people come from dysfunction, and, and all they've seen is a bad example and if you haven't ever had a good example you're just perpetuating what you know and what you've seen now here's the good news the word of god tells you how to do this and so you don't have to rely on the bad examples you can look into the word of god and it tells you how to be a good husband and it tells you how to be a good wife it tells you how to be a good father tells you how to be a good mother matter of fact every relationship in your life is talked about in the word of god how many of you believe that? This is the manual of life, and through this, we can learn how to do that. But if we've been exposed to horrible examples, we're just doing what we know. 
And all we know is what we've seen, and it hasn't been good. Now, the third thing is we communicate negativity, sarcasm, and, and critical ways because we act out of our hurts and unforgiveness. You ever heard this, hurt people hurt people? So if you've ever been hurt, wounded, scars, and sometimes when you interact with people, you act out of that hurt. And that hurt has to be healed. Or we act out of our unforgiveness. And when we do that, we're just perpetuating our hurt and our unforgiveness on other people. Our husband, our wife, our kids. And how many of you know that shouldn't be happening because God has a cure for all that? How many of you know God heals hurts? And God forgives. Someone said, forgiveness doesn't make the other person right, but it does set me free. Just because I forgive someone doesn't mean what they did was right. Doesn't even mean I approve of it. But it does set me free from that attachment and that unforgiveness. How many of you know God wants you to be free? And so if you've come from a background where you've had a difficult upbringing or you've had some hurt and pain, then we have to have that forgiveness and that healing of hurt so now we can function in the right way with other relationships. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is verse 29. Let no corrupt talk, communication, come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now here's the different translation. When you talk, do not say harmful things, but say what people need. Words that will help others become stronger, then what you say will do good to those who listen to you. So what Paul is saying is you need to communicate in a healthy, responsible positive way don't let the things come out of your mouth that doesn't build people up and don't let things come out of your mouth that tears people down it was jimmy evans and if you know who he is he's a tremendous marriage counselor and he said i've never had a counseling session where someone said the other day my spouse just lit into me cussed me out called me every ugly name under the sun and that really helped me Boy, that really helped me. Just pointed out all my faults and my failures. But guess what? Many couples do this all the time. And there, there's going to be a problem. There's going to be an issue. There's a challenge. And then someone just lights into somebody. And then, boom, we hear all these words, these names, these things that happen. And I'm going to guarantee you that will never help anybody. The only thing it's going to do is drive them away and cause hurt and pain. And now there's got to be healing, repentance, and reconciliation. So... Every good relationship, no matter what it is, comes out of positive communication and a positive attitude and a positive tone. You know, this is what they say, about 80 to 90% of all communication is nonverbal. Have you ever seen someone that you're talking to and all of a sudden they just roll their eyes and do this? Well, that helps, doesn't it? Or they, they, they don't pay attention. So we've got to not only have the right tone the right words but also we have to have the right demeanor we have to have the right body language somebody say amen because and i know you're not going to shout me down today but i'm going to tell you this is gold this is platinum because god wants your relationships to be successful and he wants my relationships to be successful now your mouth sets the limits of your relationships your mouth guides the direction of your relationship, and your mouth determines the quality of your relationships. Well, Pastor, I don't believe that. So you don't believe life and death are in the power of the tongue then. That, that's what the Bible says. Now, 
Let me tell you how true this is. James chapter 3, James is going to tell us how this works. This is verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. How true is that? That the same mouth can either bless or curse. Now, now notice what he says here, and I'm going to give you six things very quickly. He says, number one, we have to bridle our mouths. Say that with me. We have to bridle our mouth. Just because you think it doesn't mean you say it. Well, if I think it, yeah, I might as well say it. Okay, how's that working for you? Not very good. So we have to bridle our mouths, our tongue. And now notice he uses a bit and a bridle on a horse. If you want that horse to stop, what do you do? You pull the reins. And, and, and that affects their mouth, and they stop. They go right, they go left, so we have to bridle our mouths. Number two, our tongues guide our lives like a ship's rudder. So how does that pilot, how does that captain guide the ship? With a rudder. You, 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 wherever you want it to go, that's the way you turn it. That's how you do with your mouth, your tongue. If you want your life to be positive, if you want it to go the right direction, how do you do it? The Bible says with your mouth, with your tongue. If you want it to go the wrong direction, what do you do? You do it with your tongue. The words you speak, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Here's number uh, three. Our tongues can start big fires. How many of you ever started a big fire in your relationship with your tongue? Your wife comes out, she's got a new dress, and she spins around and says, does this make me fat? Make me look fat? Go ahead, Bubba, say it. Guess what happened? Fire! Or, there's an issue that's not that big of an issue, but you take issue with it, and all of a sudden, what do you do? You start the fire. Let me tell you something. Fires in relationships are never good. And Carrie and I, we have a good relationship. We don't have a perfect relationship. You, you know why? Because two imperfect people don't make a perfect relationship. But we're moving toward perfection, and we're trying to get better, so what does God do? He can do a whole lot with two imperfect people, coming together in relationship, but I'll guarantee you, you can say things in your marriage, with your kids, with people you love, in business, and you can start a fire that you wish you had not started. Can I hear an amen? And he says, the tongue can start big fires. Number four, we need to tame our tongue. He said it's impossible for human beings to tame their tongue. So what is that saying? You need God's help. You need the Holy Spirit to help you tame your tongue. And guess what? The Holy Spirit will come up within you and say things like this. You shouldn't say that. 
or after you say it, you shouldn't have said that, because we have to tame the tongue. Here's another one. Number five, we understand there's poison in our mouth. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible says that more than one place. There's poison in your mouth, there's poison in my mouth. So what do we do? We, we spill out that poison and we begin to bring things down. It kills people. Number six, we have the ability to bless and to curse. Out of your mouth, you can bless someone and you can curse somebody. It all depends on what you want to do. Now here's the question. Can God use dysfunctional people, dysfunctional families to his benefit? And the answer is absolutely yes. Because everybody has a little bit of dysfunction in them. Everybody has a little bit of dysfunction in them. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth of God is not in us. So one of the best examples of this is the family of Jacob. If you're familiar with the story of Jacob, his family was very, very dysfunctional. And it began not just with Jacob, it began with the generation before him, with his father Isaac and his mother Rebekah. And let me tell you why. Because there was favoritism between the boys. Because Isaac preferred Esau, Rebekah preferred Jacob, and it caused conflict in the family, and you can read it in the Bible. Now, when Jacob began his family, part of that dysfunction filtered over to the next generation. You see, this is what happened, guys. What, what, what we don't correct goes to generation to generation to generation. Some people call it a generational curse. Someone said it's generational choices. I like that better, right? So we can choose how we want to function in that. So when Jacob starts his family, part of that dysfunction goes to the next generation. So Jacob, in his family, he does favoritism too. Because we know the story of Joseph, we know the story of the brothers. And let me tell you, these brothers, you, you know, he put, they, they put him in a pit. He's got this beautiful coat of many colors. Then he goes uh, into slavery, he goes to Potiphar's house, he goes to prison, and then he goes to the, uh, the throne, if you will, of Egypt, the Egyptian dynasty. Matter of fact, Joseph is controlling the entire country of Egypt. Although there's a Pharaoh, he's the one that's controlling the country. And uh, kind of like a vice president that if the leader dies, they take over. Um, you need to go vote Tuesday. But this account of Joseph starts in Genesis 37. It begins in Genesis 37, but I want to take you to Genesis 50. So we have 37, we have all these chapters, and now this is verse 15 of chapter uh, 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this commandment before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came, fell down before him, said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
It's only here, look, look at this, it's only here that true repentance and reconciliation happens. They're living there, Joseph is taking care of them, I mean, he is their provider, but it's only here where true repentance and reconciliation happens. Look at verse number 17. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin and, and, and the evil they did to you. And now, now hear the brothers, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am I in the place of God. Now notice this. When they spoke to him. Say that with me. When they spoke to him. When will there be words of repentance spoken in your relationship? Are you just going to keep going on, keep going on, and hoping the other person forgets it or they're good with it? From 37 to chapter 50, it's only then the brothers come and say, please forgive us. Please forgive us. And then, look at verse 19, and Joseph said to them. So what happens? There's a communication that happens there that brings repentance and reconciliation. Here's the problem. Sometimes people speak horrible words or they don't speak at all. You know what they do? They just shut down. And that becomes very problematic. Finally, they came to some very honest communication, and the brothers finally admitted, we did you wrong, and we want you to forgive us for what we've done. And then Joseph turned, and he said to them, and not only that, he began to weep because of what happened in this relationship. Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, because this is a verse that nearly every Christian man knows. So I want you to follow and track with me here. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. How many of you know most Christian men, they know that verse? Hey, the Bible says... You must submit to me. I tried that on Carrie once. And I, I, I repeated something that's actually scriptural. And, and this was the, the line. That even Sarah called Abraham Lord. And this was her response to me. I'm not Sarah and you're not Abraham. Can you imagine she said that to me? But most Christian men say, oh, hey, this is what the Bible says. You need to submit to me because I'm the head of this house and you need to submit to me in everything. But, you know, there are verses before this and verses after this. Ladies, that was a good time for you to amen. I don't know where you're at, but this is a good time for you to amen. Here's verse 25. Husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. How important is communication in your relationship? That's how you wash. That's how you wash your mate. You say, what, what are you talking about? Do I need to get the power washer out and give her a good blast thing? I mean, what do I need to know? What you do 
is you use words. And when you use words, what are you doing? You're sanctifying that relationship. You're cleansing that relationship because just as you follow the Word of God, what does it do? It sanctifies you and cleanses you. And the same principle is true in relationships. So if you use the wrong words, if you use criticism, negativity, if you bring somebody down, you're not washing that person. What are you doing? You're staining that person. But he says that we have the washing of the water by the Word. There is a cleansing. That's how he cleanses the church. When you obey the Word of God, what are you doing? You're cleansing your life. You're sanctifying your life. The same is true with relationships. Now, there are roles of wives and there are roles of husbands, and we need to get that right. And listen, men and women are extremely different. Can I hear an amen? You probably did not marry your spouse because you were alike. Most likely you married them because you were different. When God created Adam, he said Adam needs a helpmate not somebody over him or under him, but alongside of him. And he is going to be completed by Eve. And when we get married, and when you get married, young people, you need to look for somebody, not just like you, but somebody who completes you. Carrie and I are so different. I'm watching something getting blown up in the living room. She's watching Hallmark Channel in the bedroom. Horrible. I walked through and said, who died, who came home, and uh, who's got a new hiccup at Christmas? I mean, it's the same story, just different people. Over and over and over and over again. Same story. I'll guarantee you, you, you can, three fingers, you, you can put every story in Hallmark on three fingers. It's the truth. But it makes you feel good. Makes you feel good. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're in the other room and we're blowing people up. We're, we're watching pickers and pawn stars. and I didn't say porn stars, I said pawn stars. Everybody all right? Y'all are so holy. So, completely different. But, but you have to appreciate the differences. Listen, I appreciate that Carrie is different than me. I don't know if she appreciates that I'm different than her, but, but I want you to see something here in Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to see what Paul says to both before he gets to the roles of husband and wives. You ready? Number one, he said, live a life that reflects the character of God. Live a life that reflects the character of God. Then number two, he says, walk in love. And number three, he says, stay away from sexual sin. Folks, that is one of the big things that will cause a rift and a breakup in relationships. Matter of fact, it's only one of the things that Jesus said is a reason for divorce. Adultery, some type of illicit relationship, and Paul says, stay away from sexual sin. Because when we made that commitment to one another, then what we did, we made a covenant relationship that that sexual relationship is only going to be between the two of us, right? Not only are you protecting your marriage, listen to this, you're protecting the covenant that you made to one another. This is bigger than just the license of marriage. 
this is the covenant of marriage. And we have to say, this is important because God gave us covenant relationship and we don't want to mess up this covenant relationship. Now, let me add this. If someone fails in that, if someone falters in that, it doesn't automatically mean they have to divorce, but how do you know they need to get it right? Someone needs to repent. Someone needs to be humbled. They have to get back. They have to move forward. He says, stay away from sexual sin. Here's the fourth thing. Be careful how you talk to one another. Isn't that important? Be careful how you talk to one another. Have you ever said this to someone? I wish I could record you so you could listen on how you talk to me. I'm telling you it's big. Because sometimes people use tones and languages and words and they don't realize how caustic they are when they're speaking. So be careful how you talk to one another. Number five, stay away from bad relationships. Go through chapter five. Every one of those are very vividly listed there. Stay away from bad relationships. Listen, guys, if you're hanging around someone, ladies, that's a gossiper, or is unfaithful to their husband, or they have some other pretty big flaws, you know what you might want to do? You might want to distance yourself from that relationship. I want to tell you why. Because sometimes those relationships corrupt our character. And we get exposed to things that we shouldn't really be involved in, and we might want to put a guard up to say that might not be the relationship that I want to be a primary relationship in my life. Same way with guys. You know, if, if your buddies are going to the bar every night, if, if uh, they're cheating on their wife, if, if they're not a good father, if, if they got some other things going on, guess what? You might want to distance yourself from that relationship. Doesn't mean you don't love them, doesn't mean you don't care for them, but let me tell you, what you're doing is you're protecting your relationship. Well, what will they think if, you know, I don't, listen, I don't care what they think, your marriage is a bigger priority than what they think. And so, therefore, we have to stay away from bad relationships. Number six, be wise. Number seven, here's a good one, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, what do we have? We have the comforter, we have the teacher, we have the guide, we have the paraclete, the one who walks alongside of us, who is in us, showing us how we walk, what we do, what we shouldn't do. How many of you know you need help? We just read James says, no one can tame the tongue, no human. But how many of you know with God's help, you can do it? But God has to help you. Here's the next one, number eight, submit to one another. So before he ever gets to the wife submitting to the husband, this is what he says. First of all, both of you submit to one another. And if you submit to one another, then it's easier for one to submit to the other if both are submitting, right? Now, I want to say this, and I think it's very important. Because we're different, the way we approach one another is huge in dealing with conflict and challenges and differences in our relationship. With men, men have this desire, and it's programmed in them, that you need to approach them, ladies, with honor and respect. Honor and respect is huge with men. When you dishonor them and disrespect them, let me tell you what happens. They tend to shut down. And men, when you are dealing with your wife and trying to communicate with the wife, let me tell you two big things that she needs. She needs to have emotional support and security. 
Are you going to talk to her in a very secure way and a confident way? You're going to be there. You're going to take care of her. You're going to give emotional support. And then she's going to open it up so you can say what you need to say. But if you don't do that, let me tell you what happens. She shuts down. It's hard to communicate with someone when they shut down. Because now there's really no receiving of the words. So, ladies, when you approach your husband, and he may be a character. How do you know husbands can be a character? That's true. But you still have to approach them with honor and respect because that's what the Bible says. How many of you know that, that men are created in the image of God? Women come up from the side of, of man. Do you know you need to approach God with honor and respect? Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. What, what are you doing? If you go in there with that, you're able to get intimate, close to God. You're going through the gates, you're going through the doors, you're going through the courts. And sometimes we don't ever get through the door of the courts. We don't get close because we don't come in the right attitude. We don't come with the right words. Same way with women. We, we don't get to the place we need to get in communication because we're not giving that security, that emotional support. Why? Because we all have needs and they're different. And if we do it right, then we get what we want and both of us are happy. Can I hear an amen? God wants your relationships to be successful. God wants your marriage to be successful. God did not create marriage to be a failure. How many of you believe that? God created marriage to work. And the reason he did it is because we need that intimacy, that sexuality, that support, because we cannot fulfill the commission of God without the help of the partner if we're going to be married. And so therefore, how many of you know it's hard to be fruitful and multiply by yourself? You get that on the way home. So you need help. So therefore, the covenant of marriage and right relationship is a vehicle for you to accomplish what God said. Now that doesn't mean you have to be married. Uh, God loves single people. God loves people who, who never get married. How, how many believe he loved Paul? So we have no re record that Paul ever got married. But I think when I get to heaven, I'll see him. But if I do get married, I have to abide by what the Word of God says. Now, the reason we started this series is because the holidays are coming up. For a lot of people, the holidays are a very difficult time. Because a lot of stress, people are coming in, people that uh, come in that you have difficulty with. Uh, anybody ever have people in your life that you have difficulty with? And you're related to them? I, I've shared this many times. My, my grandfather came from a large family. and So we, we had a lot of people who would gather. And I had these great aunts. And they lived to be 80, 90, over 100 years old. And we had a name for them. We called them the kissing ants. And we were kids. The kissing ants would come. And, and the, 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 they just didn't greet you. They, they got your face, I mean, you're a little kid, and then squeeze your cheeks. And they'd kiss you right on the mouth. And I want to tell you, when you're a little boy, that's just gross. It's hard. 
especially when they had stubble on the top of their lip. I mean, you know, when you get 90, you just, you don't do that anymore. But I'll guarantee you, everybody here has some extended family that can be very, very difficult. You're thinking of them right now. I guarantee you, in your mind, you're thinking of them right now. But it doesn't mean that we don't love them, we don't care uh, about them, but it means that we have to be wise. Notice what he said, be wise. We have to be careful that we interact with them in the right way. It doesn't mean you have to go over to their house every day. It doesn't mean you have to be their best friend. But how many of you know you need to communicate right? You need to live right. You need to be, have the right example. You need to uh, uh, do the things that you need to do to interact with them. But it doesn't mean that you have to go uh, you know, be their best friend, right? But we have this Christian character that we're trying to exemplify through these times. Now... Whenever we talk about relationships, one of the best ways that we show the grace and the mercy of God and us as believers is functioning good in relationships. I don't know if you know this, but as a Christian leader, and it's right in your Bible, one of the first qualifications of a Christian leader is what his family looks like. Have you know that's in the Bible? One of the first qualifications of a good Christian leader is how his family is functioning and how he functions with them and them with him. And you can read that in the Bible. And we begin to see that is a mark of a believer. And we need to have that kind of relationships. So through this series, I think what we're doing, we're getting tools to help us be better in relationships. Carrie and I have been married for a long, long time. For 46 years. And in those 46 years, we've had a lot of difficulties. We've had a few feuds along the way. Don't look at me like you're holy. We've had some intense fellowship along the way. And and I want to be very bold to tell you that. We're not perfect. But we are striving to have a good marriage and a good family. And let me tell you, when you get to be a papa... You want this to go not only to the next generation, but the next generation. You want your family to have good relationships from generation to generation to generation. And so what happens with you and me if we can do that and live that and example that? It helps the next generation and the next generation and the next generation to be successful in their relationships, because what we're doing is founded on the Word of God, and I believe the Word of God works. And it addresses every relationship in our lives. And so therefore, we take it, we apply it, we live it. Do we falter and fail? Absolutely. Have you ever let something slip out of your mouth that you wish you could get it back? Yeah, you did that probably today. And you'll do it again. But, on the whole, we want to do what James says. We want to do what Paul said. Don't let any corrupt, unhealthy communication come out of your mouth except that which is building people up. And I try to do that with Carrie. I say things like, I married the prettiest girl in Stevens County. And she says, that's not true. Or I'll say, you're just the prettiest girl that I know. She say, "Oh, you're just saying that," but all the time inwardly she's gone. 
Come on, come on. What am I doing? You say, well, you're just just playing that pastor. Sure I am. Absolutely. Why? Because it's sure better than running her down. Because words are seed, and whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Do not be fooled. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that is what he will reap. Now, there's a two-pronged kind of attack on this that uh, God has for you and I. Number one, the first is that you ought to be doing what is right. Secondly, the Bible says that every idle word you said is written down in judgment. Whoa. Think about this. Every word you speak, there is a record in heaven of every word you say. How many of you want to erase some of those words? Let me tell you how you erase those words. You go to God in repentance, and the Bible says He will blot those out to remember them against you what? No more. I've said a lot of things in my life that I want deleted from the record in heaven that I've spoken. And you said a lot of things out of anger, out of fear, out of frustration that you know you shouldn't have said, words that come out of your mouth. And let me tell you today, you need to have those deleted in heaven and you do that by repenting. And God said, I'll blot those out and I will not remember those against you anymore. Now, here's the challenge. Don't just go back over and over and over. Let's change the words we say. Let's be positive, not negative. Let's don't be critical. Let's build up. Let's not be sarcastic. Let's be sincere. And let me tell you what's going to happen. Your relationships, your marriage is going to keep getting better and better and better and better. Now, this is what happens, and and, and I'm closing here for the fourth time. Uh, This is what is going to happen. You're going to leave here, and all of a sudden, there's going to be a little change, I hope. And you're going to start saying good things and positive things, and you're your spouse is going to do this. Well, he's just saying that. She's just saying that because of the sermon this morning. Good. Good. But, but here's the caveat. Monday, keep doing it. Wednesday, keep doing it. Next week, keep doing it. And then, it doesn't become a one-time thing. It becomes something now you're doing over and over and over again. And, and let me say this. Your words will direct your life It will direct and give the quality of your life, and it will begin to help you in every phase of your relationships. Would you bow your head with me today? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.